Dear congregation, as we remain standing, I shall read for us this morning from Book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 to 8. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified, and they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall rise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruins, cities, the desolation of many generations. Strangers, strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vineyard dressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall prosper double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offerings. I will direct their work in truth and will make with them an everlasting covenant. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Merciful Heavenly Father, the word that we read this morning, the songs that we have heard, and the message that would come to us, Father, we pray that, that let the anointing of thy Holy Spirit be upon everything that we do as an exercise of worshiping thee this morning. And let the word speak to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Congregation, please be seated. This is indeed a great privilege for me, my wife, and one of our children to be here this morning with all of you. We would also like to thank elders and uh, pastor and uh, even Wymont family who have hosted us and uh, uh, through them we were able to connect to you. 
So the Lord has put all these things together so we can this morning listen to the word of God and also rejoice in the fact that there is a purpose in what the Lord does. Uh, we remember uh, many years ago that we were part of this congregation. Uh, we had worshipped with you. And uh, looking at this congregation, I feel to say congratulations for this place of worship because when last time we had come, it was a different place. We're also um, pleased to uh, let you know that uh, since the last we saw you and today, the Lord has blessed us forgiven us thousands of our sins, and enabled us to preach his word faithfully. This morning, the message is from Book of Isaiah. And the verse that I'm going to focus on is the eighth verse in chapter 61. And that eighth verse, best translated, is in the King James and also New King James. Because... It says, I shall read that for us once again. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and burnt offerings, for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and will make with them an everlasting covenant. Now, if you know the title of the sermon this morning, is the Lord's faithful recompense how the Lord rewards back to his people. We have done so much of great work and therefore the Lord says, I am so happy with you all. Here you come and receive your reward. But that's not the case. We rather have done nothing that can please him. And yet, he calls us and says, I will recompense, I will reward, I will give them grace. You know, in the times of Paul's preaching, when he met with various Christians, and there were a bunch of Christians, he had to tell them that when the Lord has offered you grace, that doesn't mean that now you have a license to sin. So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we claim upon and that we uh, hold on to is definitely a reward given to us for the sins, the multiple sins that have been covered by his blood. So the idea of come recompense, reward, that's what I'm going to talk with all of us this morning. Now when we think about Isaiah, I would say when he was killed for what he said, he said the same thing that his Lord and our Lord Jesus Christ later on Almost 800 years later, we know that um, a lifetime of Isaiah to the end of the, the first century, that whole time had one big controversy in, uh, in the community, Jewish community. If you say, or if anybody in that community would say that they have seen the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah, he would be in trouble. The Lord, no one can see Lord because the word Adonai, if I'm not wrong, it means the one 
whose name I am not able to take. I am not worthy to pronounce the name that God is speaking with you. And the word Adonai has been mentioned in such a way, in such a fashion, with the tradition, that even people, these Jews, were not even willing to take the word Jehovah on their mouth in order to keep the commandment. Do not take my name in vain. So they invented an idea. They invented a, another righteous way of dealing with that command. So whenever you see Jehovah, Yahweh, you just say, I see a name that I am not worthy to pronounce, and then move forward and start reading. So that's how they decided to find their righteousness in keeping everything in very appropriate way. And in such an atmosphere, if somebody comes and he says, I have seen the Lord, he uses Yahweh, he is in trouble. And that was most of the historians think that at the age of 92, Isaiah was put in a wooden log and he was sawed to death. The reason why they killed him, he said, I saw the Lord. Was he speaking a lie? No. He was standing firm there because the Lord said, you got to speak that. Tell the people. Tell this that they are doing something wrong. And at the end of his prophecies, now we read a very beautiful, encouraging prophecy. He is willing to recompense, bless you. There is a great second coming promise. There is a great eschatological truth that the heaven, the everlasting life, which is a beautiful not lasting, sinless, is upon us. But the message was not received very joyfully and Isaiah had to lose his life. I was trying to figure out how they must have killed him. When people decide to trouble somebody, even if they are very good Christians, then they try to find out the worst ways to trouble others. So if they want to trouble Isaiah, though they are Pharisees and the followers of that Old Testament, the law, they would be thinking, now let's trouble this man really to the last minute, last second, last breath of his life. And they could have really done cutting him not in the easiest way, but the hardest way. And would not go into more details. You can just imagine. Now, Isaiah's name, when you say Jonah, the children, kids in this um, uh, congregation would immediately start thinking a smaller prophet with the big fish and have been um, in trouble, so the fish rescued him, Jonah. If we say Amos, something similar, like one who is on the mountains tending the ships and he comes and speaks to the people of God, so the small, minor prophet. But Isaiah was junior to all these minor prophets. Jonah was senior to Isaiah. Amos was senior to Isaiah. Hosea was senior to Isaiah. So therefore, being very old and very aged doesn't really matter in the kingdom of God that you would be having that great standing that Isaiah could have later. Though they all are on the same level, the message quantity 
of Isaiah is more powerful, more stronger, and the end of his life is exactly as the end of our Lord Jesus Christ's life was. And therefore, the book of Isaiah becomes uh, one of the books that we need to read with patience, and we need to see what Isaiah is trying to say, because Isaiah was the most troubled next to Jeremiah when the Lord put calling on his heart. So dear brothers and sisters, this morning I'm going to bring to you the reward that God faithfully brings to his people. And that reward is not that now you have completed the race and here is a something, some trophy that I'm going to give it to you. But the entire aspect of God's rewarding his people is different. It's not something that comes to us at the end of the race. And therefore it is different. Therefore it is worth pondering upon. Therefore it is very necessary that we understand this verse 8. How does it say? It says, I will direct their work in truth. That directing the works in the truth, that whole phrase means recompense. That whole phrase has the idea of giving you reward. And we will, we will ponder a little bit upon that. It says, to be more clearer, what is the faithful reward that we get? And what I'm going to explain is this. The Lord is going to enable each and every one of his child to work hard. Working hard is our reward. We, we don't like that. Oh, Lord, is that the reward? The dad calls his teenage boys and he says, you know, guys, I have a reward for you today. It's a Saturday. And what's the reward, dad? You are going to work today a little more harder <laughs> to clean your rooms or help your mom or a little bit, little bit more. But you said reward. And the dad says, yes, I want you to be faithful in your work. Today is the test of your work, how faithful and how hard working you are. And that is what Isaiah meant when he was talking with his people. He said, the Lord is faithful in his rewarding. Lord is faithful in you making you work more hard. Is it, it is dangerous. The Lord is very faithful in making his people work hard. And then you go, to, go back to the context, and here it is. It says, we shall read from verse 1 to 8, and we'll go one by one. And a very simple uh, sermon this morning. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Doesn't it sound like our Lord Jesus Christ? In, a, in the book of Luke, he, he's a, he comes back to Nazareth, and he enters the synagogue and he, he preaches. And they hand him the scroll. He opens the scroll, the Bible, the Old Testament. You know, they, uh, they, every scroll has not the whole testament. So there may, may be a scroll of Isaiah and Jeremiah, perhaps, or maybe only Jeremiah or only Isaiah. So here is Isaiah. He un unfolds this scroll and reads this particular passage. And at the end, Verse 17, 19, and 21 
of the Gospel of Luke, we know in chapter 14 that by reading this particular verse, it is fulfilled. And Jesus Christ read this verse. Isaiah, hundreds of years ago, wrote these things. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And the people did not understand why Isaiah is saying this. It is not Jesus who is saying at this time, but it was Isaiah. Blessed, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now he tells people the commitment, why the Spirit is upon me and what is my responsibility. Our responsibilities and our work that we have is the reward that God has given to us, as I said. And therefore, Isaiah's reward here was to do these things to his people. Let them understand that this is possible. Let people know that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him and he has been called to preach good tidings to the poor. Well, we can, we can straightforward take that as an application for our families. Dear brothers and sisters, bringing good news to the poor is one of our rewards. Working towards the gospel preaching is one of the rewards. And that's how verse 8 ends. He said, this is how I'm going to establish my everlasting covenant with my people. The whole story of the Bible is about covenant. Right from the beginning till the end, we are going to enter into a new covenant. We are already into that new covenant. The uh, not yet and whatever is happening present, both are overlapping. One is going to suddenly end when the Lord returns. And we will be in that wholesome, eternal new covenant when the Lord would look at us, he would look at the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, we will be safe for eternity. That's the good news. That there is somebody who is going to stand in between. And that good news is for the poor. And everybody is poor because we have really nothing to bring to ourselves. You know, the poverty is something that one is not able to do something good for himself. The poverty is, the simplest definition of poverty, I think, is one who is not even able to feed his own stomach. That's the poverty. The one who is not even able to spiritually strengthen himself. That is the poverty. The one who is not even able to understand what the word says for himself. That is the poverty. And we are definitely in all the aspects of our life, we are nothing but poor people. And in Christ we find that righteousness. In Christ we find all those riches. In Christ we find all the fulfillment. And therefore, bringing that good news. You know what? I found my riches in Christ and that's the good news. And now operating on what I have found for myself, showing forth that activity is a hard work and that is the reward God has given to us. Well, when Isaiah wrote this, right, Isaiah actually spoke this. Isaiah told people, this is what is happening. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And opening of the prison to those who are bound. 
Now, when we pick up this one of the aspects, like there are various things happening here. Some are in the captivity, so they need liberty. There are poor, they need something. But all those things are something that we need to look at not outside of us, right in the beginning or initially, but rather look those things in our own lives. Look that in our own lives. It is not something that I've come here with the good tidings. The spirit is upon me. I want it to be happened to others through me. No, no, no. Don't take a place of our Lord Jesus Christ. Rather, turn your back to yourself and say, now I look all the things that are mentioned in this verse are for me. And they are possible because of our Lord Jesus Christ. The anointed one, the best and the one and the only anointed one is Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ. And towards him we say, yes, he is anointed. He has that good news for me. So the poor that I am have my riches. So the captive that I was for my own human wisdom. Now I have a liberty in the wisdom that comes from above. James is promising in the New Testament. If anybody among us lacks wisdom, ask to the Lord and he would abundantly give it to us. So our captivity is based in various aspects in within us. We don't need big prison that we can feel now we are in bondage or now we are captive. No, there are invisible walls that have kept us captive. I've heard people in our culture, in Indian culture, uh, they are very, very strong and stubborn, the high caste people. The low caste people work for them for many, many years. But this high caste person would never even say hello to them. He would rather go there and he said, why this is not clean? Clean this. He would not even look at the face of the servant. This, they are captive in their, their pride, who they are. It's very hard for them even to say, hello, how are you? How is your family? No, no, you are there. You rather clean my floor. My dear brothers and sisters, if we have that kind of un invisible boundaries that you have made, that you don't see others equal to you, then look to Jesus. There is a good news today. We have a liberty from that prison. Again, we read further. There are various things that we can relate to our own lives. One of the greatest temptations when we become faithful Christians is we start thinking how worst is the world and how much we need to go and do these things for them. Even I go through that temptation many times because we deal with the people, those who have never heard of gospel, and we say, guys, you need to learn this. This is for you. And then immediately the Spirit of the Lord speaks to my heart. First say, this is for us. And then start talking about this good news. Verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Is there any way that the Lord is going to open the door? Is there anybody would take me to the pool when the, the angels would come and disturb the water so I can be healed? An example from the New Testament. Is there an, an year that is coming when the Lord will now give that grace and concession to everybody and say, this is the last time, we are closing, 99% off, come quickly, the year of acceptable, 
the year to be uh, open for everyone. And yes, there is, there is a promise. This whole time that we are living here, there is a purpose. If you look carefully, there is only one purpose, that we need to share what the Lord has done to us and share that good news to people saying this is for us and everything will fall into the same place. Everything, literally everything. Once Delhi is the capital of India, me and my other friend, um, he's like brother to me, he's a pastor, and uh, we were heading to one youth meeting. And Delhi is a very crowded. We actually go bumper to bumper on the roads. It's very tight traffic. And we say, oh man, there was a way there. Now they have started doing something, digging. They want to make a subway here. But we're getting late to the youth meeting. But we had to wait and, you know, do all that stuff. And we somehow went and we reached there uh, kind of on time. After seven, eight years, we were again late to go to the similar kind of a meeting, but the same spot we were supposed to go. And this time we were more late because our, the, the passenger train that we took was a little more later. But when we reached to this spot, when we were grumbling six, five to six years ago, they had a subway. We could run through that subway so quickly and we were still on time. And while, while we were running, my friend, my brother, he says, hey, you remember a few years back, the same spot we were grumbling for this traffic jam here because they were working on subway? Because of this subway, we are going to reach on time today. How do you feel about it? And then the Lord spoke to our hearts. Everything in our life, today it may be very hard, but believe it is actually preparing all of us to get to that one end when we will be showing that good news through our lives to the entire world and then the Lord is going to switch off everything. Time will be switched off. Sometimes we don't believe, like there would be a battery that would run out of the time. Yes, there is a clock going to stop permanently. Time is a created thing. God created time and then it started tuck. And there is a time going to be a time to cut down that time and shut down that time forever. And the eternity starts. So this whole aspect of our Christian living, all that we are into, all that we are earning, all that we are getting for our lives and all that we are helping others is for that one eschatological end of the consummation of all time when the Lord is going to just turn that switch off and then he rules 100%. No even slightest glimpse of evil would be found. No possibility anymore to sin. And the proclaim, yes, the proclaim, the acceptable year of the Lord is here. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. I was reading a bunch of uh, Puritan ideas about retribution. I had few enemies and I wanted to find if there is anything that the Lord can do to them before I die or before they die. And for my surprise, me and my wife, we both read that book together. And the book says, yes, the Lord is going to retribute. 
and that really shocked me. The thing that I wanted to happen to others, I immediately started thinking for myself because I also am in the same boat. I have hurt many, and they must also be thinking the same thing. Lord, before this guy goes out of this world, deal with him. And I thought the answer would be, no, 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 the Lord is gracious. He's a like gracious old father, grandfather, long white beard, very gracious eyes. And he just simply turns and he says, you know what, my son, come in. No. Very strong word. And when you read Puritans, you would understand the retribution is very true. When Paul was hurting church, he killed Christians and the Lord Jesus Christ appears to him on the way of Damascus. And what did he say? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So every hurt that we give to Christians, his people, of talking to him too harshly, or even neglecting them and not even saying a word to them for years. Both the things are sinful in the sight of the Lord. And what is he going to say? Why are you persecuting me, Anup? Okay, you did that. But I will show you how hard it is to hit against the weed. You know, I recently learned that I was here uh, with Reverend, took me for lunch, and uh, there was somebody... Uh, buying food in the same restaurant has a shoe uh, with the something coming out like a will and I forgot the name, the technical word for it. If, would you like to hit against that with your barefoot? Paul's case was that the Lord said, I would show you how hard it is to hit against that pointed thing. It's mentioned in the same passage. If you go home, you can read that. What is that? That's nothing but retribution from the Lord. The Lord will make you understand how much you are hurting others before you leave this world. So you may very, very meaningfully say, praise the Lord and die. Every knee shall bow, yes, because he, want, he would give you that conviction. That yes, dear son, you have hurt me that much and yet you will not understand because of your that sinfulness how much my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has been hurt. The hurt was real for our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of our sin. It is not just something theological, a technical thing. Okay, you just say those words and you'll be all fine. Sometimes I think uh, in, our, in our town, in our villages, people have parrots as their pets. And they train the parrot to say, say, praise the Lord. And the parrot would say back, praise the Lord. And I'm surprised. They, oh, the Pentecostal family has a parrot which says even hallelujah. And perhaps that parrot is now taught to say Jesus is Christ. Wonderful. Now this parrot would be in heaven because he just said, Jesus is Christ. He just said, hallelujah. He just said, praise the Lord. No, it is not depending on our words that we say, Jesus is Christ. Even the demon knows that he is the son of God. 
but it has to be the anointing of the holy spirit changing our heart to put those words in our heart so we may be able to say lord this is not me who is confessing thee this is the anointing of thy spirit enables me to even say that that thou art my loving savior therefore even our confession is not part of what we wisely could say look at the love of the lord how much he loves he says once my spirit would enable you to say that jesus is lord then there is no power in the world that can take that confession away from you now there is nothing that can go against the love of christ because that has been given to us that's where we differ from many other denominations dear brothers why are we reformed because we understand the even the acceptance of the grace is not because of our wisdom or theological understanding or how wise we are this is why we have assurance of our salvation this is why we are joyful this is why we are able to say what is good news we will rush little bit here in the rest of the verses but there are tremendous amount of applications that isaiah is talking about and every application fulfilled in the new, Te- new testament and today we are the evidence of those verse 3 to console those who mourn in zion to give them beauty for ashes you know the people are really in a very hard times and they when they are in hard times they wear sack clothes and they put ashes on them and they mourn we have in india a biggest saint community the holy men they are constantly mourning for their false understanding that there is somebody called god is completely upset and he is not returning back to heaven and heaven is empty so these people they don't wear any clothes but they always put ashes on their body and walk all over and they always are in group not less than 20000 at a time so if you see them you better stay away from them they sometimes walk on the ways and try to stop your car so these are naked people with ashes put on their bodies and they are mourning because their god is not returning to heaven and heaven is empty and they are troubled with that and those ashes are not of the charcoal and the wood and the things that they could burn easily but everybody has that ash of a dead body now that's the example and the extreme example of mourning in fact when god's people were putting the ash on their bodies and when they were mourning they were so depressed for the opposite reason that now they have no hope that they can see the god in heaven and the others had a different sadness that they think their god has left the heaven whatever the case is but god says if that is the way you think your situation is that you are completely hopeless i am going to put a crown of pearls and diamonds on your head that's the word here which he says he proc- um give them beauty for ashes the word beauty here actually means a crown of a uh, it's an ornament you are happy and the sign of that happiness is not just a smiley face on your chest but here is a beautiful ornamented crown on your head 
that you are happy, I declare you are happy. So Lord is going to give that beauty to us. And what is that crown? It's our faith. That he pours down that faith into our heads. And he says, okay, that's where you will see your beauty. If our wisdom is not seen by others as a beautiful thing, if somebody has a lot of information to tell you, and you sit there thinking, oh man, I would never get that intelligent. So he has shown you all the ashes, no beauty. But if somebody shows you so much of beautiful knowledge, and you feel, oh wow, I will be able to get that. It's really the way to go. He has shown you the ornamented beautiful thing. And then we will be able to build our relation with one another. Our wisdom would be helpful to others. I love my teacher, whom I never forget, who always scolded me, but his scolding brought me one step ahead. But I, I have a teacher, teacher of mathematics. I always was afraid of him. That even if I do whatever best, he would say, mm, you took long time. <laughs> but I did it and I finished it and he would always create that fear around him. Well, the Lord says that is gone when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your sin will no more bother you. You would rather be laughing at those things. We'll jump to verse 4. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, and they shall raise up the former desolation, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolation of many generations. Here is a work aspect. I give you a city, now go and repair it. It's a dangerous thing, now you have to go and repair it. I give you all new Jerusalem from heaven, ready-made city coming down. We like that. We like to go into that new Jerusalem which is ready-made, coming down from heaven. Isn't that the picture that we look forward to? We are going to go into heaven. There is no sea, no sun needed. Light would be always there and the city from heaven would come down and we are going to live in that beautiful Jerusalem descended from heaven. Oh, wow! No, 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 no. Don't be, don't be mistaken. Work hard is the real command. I will lead you to the land of milk and honey. Oh, so when we go there, you know what? I tell my family, we're going into the land of milk and honey. As soon as we go there, take more containers so we can have honey in one container and milk in one container and enjoy. People later on realized the Lord blessed their hard work so they had containers full of milk and the container full of honey. Because they worked. Adam was put in a beautiful garden and the covenant was work, maintain. And now we come to the end of our verse that I want to bring to you, verse 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. What I'm asking you to work hard, since I love the justice, it is not unjust on my part to make you say or make you work hard. If the Lord says you need to work hard, I am still not unjust in doing that. Why, Lord, that you, you, are, you own the cattle on the hill, thousand cattle or perhaps million, you own those, then why you want me to work? It is yours, why don't? 
No, he said this is just for just thing for the Lord to let his people work. For I the Lord love justice, I hate robbery and burn, for burnt offerings. Here is a concept of how much we show that we are doing something for the church and yet very silent about certain things that we are not willing to change. And this is more about relationships. This is more about how we relate to the other person whom we have disliked for last five years, ten years. It is about your look, outlook for that person. You know, one who expects you to love them and you don't love them and next time he comes and with the same expectation that you would love him and you don't and third time he comes with the same expectation and you don't love him and the fourth time and sixth time why is he coming again and again and the Lord says I am patient I am giving you privilege that you change your heart and say I love you to this man or this woman I am bringing him there so you may be changed and when you see somebody that you don't like this is the Lord bringing that person so you may exercise the love and justice and show them what is work. So you don't rob the Lord for grace that he has given to you. When the Lord has given me grace and if I don't use that grace for others, I'm robbing my Lord for the grace. Robbery is nothing to do, robbery really speaking has nothing to do with money. It is all about the attitude that we have. If your attitude is great, the robbery would not even exist. And you, in your country, you have that example. You know, it's so nice to see um, Mr. and Mrs. Weimant's uh, dairy farm has a milk things, and people come, keep the money, take their bottles. Nobody's there to watch. And then here I come with all the ideas of stealing. I take two bottles as well as all the money and go. Nothing is happening of that kind. Why? Because robbery is not taking money. Robbery is something to do with our attitude. And again, it is not only what you pick up which is not yours, but the grace is given to you is not yours. Why you are not operating that on your fellow, me, fellow being? Why are we robbing our Lord's grace? God says, I am just. Retribution would be done. And hate, I hate the robbery for burnt offerings. I will direct their work in truth. And that is the sermon this morning. Now the Lord is going to direct our work. The work that we contribute towards God's kingdom. In, the, in truth. I am the truth, says Lord Jesus Christ. So our work, our ability to move forward in that direction is in his special hands. And we end this message with this. And... I will make with them an everlasting covenant. Dear brothers and sisters, the Lord is not depending on how hard his people are going to work so his second and new covenant may be fully established for eternity. No. He has already his people in place and the good news is those people are sitting here this morning we are part of that covenant and therefore we have no other option but to behave like the people of new covenant. Our work 
the Lord is going to direct. And that work that we will be doing for one another is not for our salvation, but rather to make sure that we have this reward given to us that we would enjoy. The work that we do is a reward given to us, a faithful recompense of our Lord for his people. And may the Lord bless each and every one of us this morning with his word. Come, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Merciful Heavenly Father, we as thy congregation come into thy presence this morning asking forgiveness and rejoicing in the fact that the reward that has been given to us, the recompense that has been granted to us, is the beautiful hard work that we can do for one another. In humility, so the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified and the ever everlasting covenant may be established. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.